3: MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio.
0: Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, August 13th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the new state auditor shares what his office found out about mismanaged Medicaid funds and what they're going to do about it. Then on Everyday Tech, we'll hear from the experts on back-to-school tech and how to get the best bang for your buck. And find out why safety at school bus is a top priority this time of year.
4: We
2: want, of course, everybody to be aware when the school buses are out running around. Be prepared. Be watching for them to stop.
0: That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's new state auditor is working to recover Medicaid funds. Shad White says more than half a million dollars in Medicaid money was wrongfully paid to managed care organizations. Some of the payments were on behalf of patients who didn't qualify. Others were for patients who were already dead. Auditor White tells MPB's Desiree Fraser, technology played a major role in the investigation.
1: What we have done in our office, uh, and this is a project that started back when Stacy Pickering was state auditor, is we went in and, and went over to Medicaid and said we have um, some new techniques and staff that have technical expertise in, in what is called big data analysis, and uh, we uh, we asked Medicaid to partner with them to try to identify places where uh maybe improper payments were made at Medicaid and then try to uh get money back for the taxpayers and so what we ended up doing is looking through a lot of what are called capitation payments uh uh involving managed care companies and and those are those are just payments uh for participants in the Medicaid system. And what we found when we look using our our big data analysis is that there were some people who were deceased uh, who the state was still making payments for. And then there were some folks who were in uh, long-term care and and folks who are in long-term care are not eligible to uh, receive the capitation payments. And so when you add those two groups together, we ended up finding over $600,000 of money that should not have been paid out and will now be recovered for the taxpayers. So it's a good win for the taxpayers, and, and a good example, I think, of our ability to, one, use the latest kind of technology to uncover these problems, and two, forge really good partnerships across state government, work together with other agencies uh, like Medicaid. Uh, Medicaid was a very willing and helpful partner here in in working with us to identify these issues, and uh, we're looking forward to continuing that partnership and, and continuing to find ways to save taxpayers money in the future.
5: So where's the problem here? Is it the managed care companies not keeping track or uh, sufficient track in their records, or is it the Medicaid uh, department that needs to do a better job of tracking its records?
1: I'm not sure I would lay the blame at any one person or entity's feet, but I would say that you know, anytime you have a massive program like this with a lot of participants and a lot of moving parts, you're going to have issues in the data that pop up. And uh, really, in order to constantly stay on top of the data uh, and make sure that deceased recipients are removed, make sure that folks who go into long-term care are removed, go into nursing homes, basically, are removed, you just need a lot of people uh, looking at the issue. And so we wanted, we knew we had the expertise to help. We knew we had the technology in our office to help. And so we wanted to step in. And, and really, the good thing is, now that we have identified these problems, I think going forward, the managed care companies and Medicaid are going to be able to work together and, and prevent this kind of issue from popping up in the future.
5: Um, how will they keep this from happening or reduce the incidences of it occurring?
1: I think just by us flagging the issue, they now know that this needs to be a regular part of their analysis of, of the program and who is eligible Uh, And, you know, we pointed out that the the $600,000 that we identified um, certainly, you know, is an issue now, but if it had not been corrected, we would have still been paying out that money into the future indefinitely until it was identified. So it's good to, you know, use these technologies as soon as they become available to identify the problems as quickly as possible so that you can get the money back and then going forward you don't have that issue in the future.
5: So we don't know for how many years this $600,000 has been going uh, to, uh, to pay for folks, and that was money lost to the state.
1: Yeah, it, you know, it's hard to it's hard to track uh every single penny going back forever. You know, we did our analysis on data from 2014 to 2017 and if, of course, uh you know, one of the big issues was uh people dying and then another issue is people going into long-term care. They obviously were not uh always like that. They were in a position where they were a valid beneficiary at some point. Uh, and so it is difficult to look back uh for for every single year in the past and identify every single penny that could have been obtained. But, you know, the the point for us was let's take a snapshot. Uh, We've got a ton of data from those three years, and we've got the technology to to at least sort through that data. Let's look at it. Let's identify the problems, and let's fix it so it's not an issue in the future.
5: Now that you've identified the funds, recovering those, uh, will it go to the uh – state division of Medicaid?
1: Yep, so Medicaid now now takes over, uh, and we're happy to assist in any way that we can, but but realistically, I think what will happen is that Medicaid will be able to go back to the managed care companies and, and be able to obtain it. Uh, I don't know that they foresee any big issues, uh, but if there are issues, we're always here to help and, and are available to, to put our resources out there on that part as well.
5: And is this an added function that you will be including in your future audits?
1: Well, we have a whole new division called our Digital Division, which uh, Stacy Pickering set up and is just now sort of getting its legs under it and finding good projects for it to participate in. And so our Digital Division, I think, is going to be one of those that is going to grow in importance over time, uh, especially as new technologies become available. So uh, this this will be a part of the way we look at various state agencies, Uh, other big programs, and and it's going to be just another tool in our toolkit to make sure that we're saving folks money.
5: All right. Well, Shad White, State Auditor for Mississippi, we appreciate your time. Thank you, Desiree.
0: Medicaid has begun the process of recovering the funds from the insurance companies and ensuring that agency protocol prevents future improper payments. Coming up on Everyday Tech, we'll hear from the experts on back-to-school tech and how to get the best bang for your buck. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Everyday Tech
3: on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilkes-Coutreer. Today we're going to be talking about getting ready for back to school and how to get the most tech for your buck. Well, it's almost time for the school buses to hit the road again. Now, I have a teenager, and I know firsthand the struggle to keep up with the latest gadgets. So where do you suggest parents get that information from?
6: Well, you know, for the most part, your kids are going to tell you quite a bit of that. Uh, They're going to be coming up with, oh, Mom, Dad, I've got to have this. Uh, I've got to have this really cool new case, or I've got to have this new laptop, and... And all these other things, and and so really, we we get the starting point from the kids, but from there, really, your best resources, friends, neighbors, look at reviews, look at you know, don't necessarily fall for the the fancy advertisements, but really look into what they're trying to accomplish, and make sure you're finding the right tools for that. I mean, you know, uh, you don't want to necessarily just kind of fall into all the fad stuff. We want to th- do things, you know, you want to spend that money wisely but get on the right tools.
3: Speaking of spending
6: money wisely, where can we find the bargains? When looking at back-to-school tech and tech for students and such, there's a ton of bargains out there to be had. The problem is, is that a lot of companies don't really do a good job of letting us know where these things are at. And so if you reach out and look at the Microsofts, the Best Buys, the Amazons, and some of these other places, even Apple and Dell and HP, They give discounts for students, and some of those discounts can be pretty substantial. It could be a couple hundred bucks here, a couple hundred bucks there, and hey, that money adds up pretty quick. So your best thing to do is just look, hey, what are just ask, what are your discounts for students? Don't forget to utilize those reviews that are sitting on out there, because that's one thing that the internet is great for, and that is people will tell you what they think. You may not like it. You may love it. Um, You know, weigh it with a little bit of of a cautious eye. Sometimes, you know, people are going to... Some some people are just overly positive. Some people are overly negative. You want to actually constructively look at that. But, but you know, research it before you spend a, spend a penny.
3: Now, another thing I've noticed is schools issuing out devices for students and parents this year. So parents are getting laptops from, and the students are getting laptops. What is some advice you would have for these families?
6: Well, the biggest thing to look at on that is this is really a good opportunity to teach your kids to be responsible with those devices. I mean, it goes for us parents too. We need to remember our own responsibility, but this this gives that, that perfect opportunity to make sure they're paying attention and realize the gift that they're really being given with that. And one of the best things to do with that is to learn how to protect it, learn how to take care of it, because the reason these schools are giving these devices is to get the students more engaged. More and more we're seeing where parents and kids can actually interact. I know my wife, for example, is actually able to get involved, and in it. it probably bothers the heck out of my kids sometimes, but she knows exactly what their grades look like. and So this is some tools out there, but there are also tools to teach responsibility.
3: Now, uh, speaking of kids, staying connected with distant students, that's real important for a lot of parents, especially if you're sending your children off to college for the first time. You want to stay connected to them. What's a good way that parents can stay connected to their uh, children going off to college?
6: Well, a program that comes to mind, of course, is Skype. It's a free program. We've talked about it several times before, and it's a way to digitally and audio link you to people down the street or even halfway around the world and allow you to you know, maybe look into that dorm room, make sure they're keeping their room clean and and see some things like that. But the, these kind of tools can really allow that parent, especially, you know, I know it'll be me and my wife pretty soon. My son's a junior this year, pretty soon. College is coming. It's a little bit hard to, to, to let go. There are always those little ones in our mind. So utilizing that technology to keep you connected can really come in handy. All
3: right. What's a good age to purchase a phone or a tablet for your child?
6: Well, you know, that's very subjective. A lot of it really depends on the child and on the circumstances. For us personally, whenever both of my kids started getting more involved in some after-school events, uh, they're both heavily involved in the Northwest Rankin Band, once we were separated from them a pretty good bit, the, uh, the ability to be able to reach out and text them or talk to them became important. And so pretty much at that point is when we really saw that, hey, we need this. The biggest thing was setting the ground rules with them to say, this device's primary function is to make sure that mom and dad can get in touch with you. What that means is if mom and dad try to get in touch with you, you better answer.
3: We will talk more about the latest tech devices for your students on Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can always send us an email to everydaytech at For Wilkes Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation
0: at woodwardhines.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Mississippi Highway Patrol and Department of Education are initiating a campaign. It's called Operation Stop, which stands for Safe Transport of Passengers. Officials with the Highway Patrol say enforcement efforts will focus on school bus loading and unloading zones as well as school zones. They're asking motorists to make good decisions regarding distracted driving and speeding issues when coming in contact with school buses and driving through school zones. Bill Welch is director for Safe and orderly schools as the State Department of Education. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood the safety of students is the top priority.
4: Operation Stop is a campaign that we have partnered with the Highway Patrol, and basically it's all geared around the safe transport of passengers or better known as students in our world. And it's just an ongoing uh, campaign that we have with them, but we put emphasis on it at the beginning of the school year for drivers to pay attention to loading and unloading zones for school buses and also in the school school zones, safety zones around the schools.
7: How often do you see these incidents occur where either a student might have been injured, um, whether there was a fatality or someone came close to getting hit by a car? Is this something that's sort of common in school zones?
4: As far as the Close calls, yes, they're all too common. Uh, thank goodness we've had very few fatalities and very few injuries. If you look at the number of students that ride a bus every day, but, yeah, there are a lot of safe, uh, a lot of uh, close calls or a lot of times when drivers are not paying attention for whatever reason and they just get too close to a bus or they don't see the stop arm out on the school bus, whatever it might be, the flashing lights, and uh, just they're just too close. The accidents are too close to happening.
7: So you kind of touched on that a little bit. If you can elaborate, so what are the rules when it comes to, um, let's say, I'm driving towards a school zone? um, What are some things that I should be mindful of or that I should know um, just to make sure that the children are going to be safe?
4: Okay. One is just pay attention to the the street signs because the school zones are identified. And a lot of times you will see where uh, drivers just did not pay attention, didn't see the reduction in the speed. And you know they're they're doing you know whatever it is, 30, 40 miles per hour, and in a in 15 mile per hour zone, this, these type things. And it's uh, then you also have again when your a bus is stopped at a, a loading zone, as in the mornings when they're loading students, um, the stop arm is out, the light, the flashing lights are on, but the car drivers, truck drivers are just they're busy doing other things and just don't see them, and you know until they get so close and and think again. Thank goodness we haven't had any fatalities. We had one last year, and hope, you know, hopefully we will start this year and not have any throughout the entire school year.
7: Are there some things that maybe parents, or I know sometimes teachers will go outside as the kids get on the bus, is there something that they can also learn in this campaign?
4: Oh, yes. The, you know, as far as the students, is staying within your loading and unloading zones, don't venture down the street don't do those. You know, don't be out in the street playing those type things. You stay back where you're supposed to be, where the signs are. As far as the loadings on, and as far as parents, it's just watching. You know, watching the kid and uh, your your child and other children that may be at the stop if there's a parent there. And as far as parents, it's just uh, having their having their child out at the proper time. If it's if it's six o'clock pick up. That have them out there and don't have the the buses sitting there prolonged times waiting on a child.
7: In terms of you know what the highway patrol would be doing, are there are there going to be more patrolmen in school zone areas, or is it just an awareness campaign?
4: That's probably something more for the highway patrol. But yeah, okay. my conversation with them, yes, they will have uh, they will be paying more attention to the school zones. You know, at this time of year, especially at the beginning of the school year, just to make sure that you know, the drivers, the car driver, truck drivers are aware that school is back in session and that's the school's on, you know, the, the particular areas the school's on, you know, whether it's their flashing lights, whatever it might be. But, but yes, uh, from my conversation with Highway Patrol, they're definitely going to be uh, more active around the school areas okay, for the okay. next several weeks.
7: So uh, in terms of bus drivers as well, because, I mean, I've – also, read instances where um, it wasn't another vehicle. There have been times where, like, a kid might have gotten off the bus and the bus driver didn't see the kid. Um, is there also a process or um, rules for bus drivers that they also utilize to make sure that kids are safe?
4: Yes, we, you know, there's training going on, you know, across the state has been for for several weeks now for bus drivers, uh, just to make them aware, you know, reemphasize what is. You know, if they are experienced bus drivers, or if it's the first year, it's still that you know the, the same type of training. Be aware of how many kids, how many students are on your bus. Make sure they're seated. Uh, make sure that you are putting your your light so your stop arm out, cutting your lights on in time. Just all those things, you know, they have been trained. And every two years, when bus drivers are are recertified, you know, they go, they have a, a six about a six eight hour training in a classroom, just talking about these issues, and then two to four more hours of bus training. So, but that only happens during recertification. But the school local school districts are are currently doing this term professional development with their drivers just to make them aware of how important this is, especially at the first few weeks of school.
7: Talk about the importance of um, pedestrian safety.
4: I don't want to sound cliche, but when people stand up and say our most prized possession to our kids, but it's, um, you know, it's definitely true. And so that's what we're trying to do is protect the over 450,000 students that ride a bus every day. Our main mission is to get them to school, and back home again safely.
7: Bill Welch is the director of Safe and Orderly Schools with the Mississippi Department of Education. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for your time today.
4: We appreciate your call.
0: In December of 2009, five-year-old Nathan Key was killed when a driver illegally passed his school bus as he was unloading. His father, Andy Key, says legislation named after his son passed in 2011. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood they hope no other family has to endure such a loss.
2: He was a precious child, uh, full of energy, full of life. Never met a stranger. Everybody he came in contact with. Uh, he affected tremendously loved by all i guess you'd say
7: you don't really think about the fact that this could happen to anybody
2: of course and you know we've talked about that before that we never really knew the proper way to get on the school bus or load or unload the school bus or what the school bus driver should have been doing or what people should be doing while the school bus is running we just uh, we never really thought about it i think like most people um Never really realized how important it was until this happened.
7: So, when it happened, talk about uh, why you and your family were so passionate about um, seeing legislation through, and I know you have an organization as well. Why was it so important to bring awareness to these things?
2: Unfortunately, and and we realized this as we've gone through the or went through the process and helped other families across the country go through this process that that sometimes. It takes a tragedy to to, to make a difference. Um, I think the reason that that we became so passionate about it to try to make a difference um, was simply the fact that we knew how it how it felt uh, to lose a child and to lose a child in something that was absolutely one hundred percent preventable. Parents lose children all the time to disease and illness and 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 things like that, but this is one instance where it's 100% preventable. So we just really wanted to try to focus on how to to avoid this or how to, to help prevent this from happening again um, and happening to another parent and another child.
7: Talk about um, what Nathan's Law says and, and what are the
2: penalties. The interesting thing about, about Nathan's Law is When we were helping to write it, we wanted it to be more than just punishment. Uh, It's a very multifaceted law. Now, it does state that for a first offense of of passing a school bus, or passing a stop school bus with the lights flashing when they're loading and unloading children, but the first offense is a fine um, up to $750 and up to a year in jail. We did it like a a tiered approach, kind of like the DUI thing. Um, for a second offense, it's from 750 up to $1,500, uh, a 90-day suspended license and up to a year in jail. One of the deficiencies we discovered when looking at the laws and whatnot was the uh, injury or, or, or death of a child. We added a component in there to where if uh, a child is injured while you're in the process of passing a, a stop-school bus, it's an automatic felony, and you're actually convicted under the aggravated assault statute, which carries up to 20 years in jail. Um, it also started the governor's school bus safety task force, which is a task force that is continuing to this day that studies school bus safety policies and procedures, uh, also new equipment and things like that to, to present to the legislature. It changed the driver's license tests to include questions about school bus safety and, and school zones and That type thing, and then it also uh, encouraged VSAs to be published by the state of Mississippi to uh, bring more awareness to school safety.
7: Andy Key is the father of Nathan, who was killed in 2009,
0: getting off of a school bus. Thank you so much, Andy, for talking to us.
2: Hi, thank you.
0: Officials say more than 450,000 students are riding the bus this year in Mississippi. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow. Tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.